Welcome to Uninhibited, a podcast with the mission to discuss taboo, multicultural, multigenerational, and multilayered topics that matter to women. My name is Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki. I am an Ivy League-trained OBGYN practicing medicine in rural America. I am married and raising three dynamic African-American boys. I am a mother, a career professional, a part of Generation X, and so much more. I bring to the table a true desire for social justice that informs my opinions, and my hope is that this podcast will open conversations, question beliefs, and be transformative. Welcome to another episode of Uninhibited. I'm your host, Dr. Abdul Baki, and today we have a very special guest, Dr. Joy Baker. I'm going to let her introduce herself, but first I wanted to lead with a quote from Toni Morrison in honoring her recent passing and in um, going forward discussing what we will be discussing, which is pay equity and women in the workplace and getting what we deserve. Um, Toni Morrison wrote on power that I tell my students, when you get these jobs that you have been so brilliantly trained for, just remember that your real job is that if you are free, you need to free somebody else. If you have some power, then your job is to empower somebody else. This is not just a grab bag candy game. So in saying that, I want um, Dr. Baker to introduce herself and, and let's begin this discussion and finding out more about um, her story. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really just delighted to um, be invited to participate. Um, I really enjoy this podcast, so it's it's really a thrill to be a part of it. Um, uh, my name is Joy Baker, and I am a obstetrician and gynecologist in rural Georgia. And um, I am really um, interested in telling my story for the benefit of those who are coming behind me um, and to, to set other women in the workplace free. Oh, that's great. So why don't we begin at the beginning um, with, um, tell us a little bit about your training and then um, taking uh, this job. So um, I did uh, all of my medical school and residency training in Atlanta, um, and I trained at a very large hospital called Grady Health Systems and and really enjoyed that. But I knew uh, upon my graduation that I wanted to work outside of the metro Atlanta area. Um, I was actually born in LaGrange, Georgia, which is about an hour south of Atlanta. And so I kind of spent my early years in small town life. And um, I also understood that um, the there, there were some huge um, challenges facing Georgia as a state in terms of providing maternal care. So I, I really wanted to venture out to see if I could make a difference in smaller communities. So, yes, I'd read somewhere, um, sorry to cut you off, that there was actually in some areas of Georgia, women had to drive two to three hours um, to get care. Right, absolutely. There are what we call maternal health care deserts or obstetric deserts uh, in Georgia. And these are counties where women do not have access to adequate OB care. And some of them are traveling, you know, 50 to 90 miles uh, to obtain that care. And we know that outcomes uh, are definitely um, poorer when women have to travel further 
to receive care. Okay, so you had it in your heart that you were going to serve in a rural area because uh, you grew up there, you knew the need was great. So tell us about um, how you entered this uh, job. So uh, initially, I um, I started out uh, in Columbus, and I graduated uh, from residency as the top resident um, or fellow um, at at my training program, which was which was huge, so that was such an honor um, to receive that Next Generation Healer Award, and and I really kind of took the idea that I was fulfilling the mission of my institution, which is to serve the underserved. So I uh, went off to Columbus, and and I found that jumping into medical practice as an attending was a huge leap, uh, much more difficult than what I expected. But not only that, uh, in terms of like your clinical acumen and kind of deciding who you're going to be as a provider, I also had to navigate this whole contract negotiation and and understanding what my uh, work was worth to a practice or a hospital. And, And I was a complete novice and just really didn't have any ideas. So I spent a almost two years in Columbus and just kind of dealt with so many um, issues that I'm sure that young women are dealing with, uh, not only in the medical field, but in the workplace in general. Um, young professional women are, are kind of in a position where they're forced to um, prove uh, their value. And so after um, the experience in Columbus, which is another story for another day, Um, I I was looking for a new position. And we know that about 75% of residents leave their first job within within three years. And a lot of it is because there are some predatory, um, there are some predatory hospitals and practices out there that prey on on residents uh, who are fresh out of out of uh, training. So I ventured off into an even more rural community. And it was really interesting how I um, came to know about the open position, I was actually calling about uh, a patient that I encountered on call, and I was trying to get records for this uh, particular lady. And I ended up speaking with one of the labor and delivery nurses at this um, at this hospital, and uh, we just had the nicest chat. It was just really warm, and she was so friendly, and she was able to get me um, the records that they did have on the patient. And she mentioned to me, she said, you know, you're just so pleasant. We wish we had a nice doctor like you here, but we don't have any permanent uh, OBGYNs here right now. We're, we're only hiring temporary people who come in and fill, for a few, fill in for a few days and then uh, are off to another, another place. So that kind of resonated with me. And I thought, wow, you know, I, I really should look into this, this area more. So I, I started looking online and I saw that there were two physicians that I that I knew personally uh, who were already working in this community. So I reached out to them and and you know one said said definitely you should you should you should come and the other said no I probably wouldn't. So I just decided that I would you know form my own opinion. So I went out and visited and they were um, looking for a part-time uh, position um, called locums, which is where you know you have a physician that is um, filling in at a particular hospital or clinic. Yeah, temporary job. They're a temp, pretty much, like a temp agency. So um, I went and negotiated directly with the hospital um, 
which is a lot um, more economical for the hospital, but it also usually works out better for the physician. And so we negotiated that um, I would start providing uh, temporary coverage um, at $1,200 um, uh, $1, per diem. So um, that was... And, and just so I can just add, was that a number that you had devised based on talking with different people or was that the number they said that they were paying everyone or how did you come up with the um, $1,200 per day? That was the number that they suggested and I had done some research on agencies who provide locums coverage and most of them, not, not many of them paid more than $800 to the physician. However, we know that hospitals pay local agencies much, much more than that. So their per diems were, were a lot lower. So I thought, okay, this is probably a good deal. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm still about, you know, a year and a half out of residency. So I'm like, okay, this is probably okay. So I accept the deal. I start to work there. I really love the patients. The staff is great. The nurses are amazing. And so we start talking about a permanent situation um, and negotiating a contract. But what I did not know at the time is that the other um, the other temporary docs or part-time docs were making $2,700 per diem. So more um, than double what you were making, you eventually found out. I eventually okay. found out. Um, and that was about a year after I had uh, started started working there. Um, and so we we started to talk about a permanent situation and they they made me an offer and of course I, I counter offered and um, you know talk, we talked about about uh, benefits and compensation and even I'm, I'm always very community focused so I wanted to make sure that they would support that uh, for me to be able to go out into the communities into schools and churches and to um, really not only promote my practice but to do a lot of um, community health education mm-hmm. because that was my interest. Um, I, I knew very early on that I wanted to um, provide group prenatal care. So um, I wanted to be sure that I had that in writing that they would support that effort. So um, fast forward to um, the, the actual uh, permanent contract. We, we finally came to terms. We negotiated for about two months for this contract. What were yes. the sticking points like? What and and at any point did you feel like I should get a lawyer involved? So I had a lawyer involved from the beginning, and we okay. Um, and so she was actually negotiating uh, on my behalf. So a lot of the sticking points were one thing I was really concerned about after my experience in Columbus was what is my exit plan like. Am I going to be responsible for any malpractice tail coverage insurance or what are we going to do? So I negotiated that. I also negotiated the salary and asked for um, a raise after year one because I was um, was just at the point where I was studying for my um, oral OBGYN boards. And so um, I wanted to I knew that by the next year I was going to have I was going to be board certified. 
So mm-hmm. um, we and OB know it's a long process to get both the written and oral boards taken and passed. So um, I was pretty confident that I, I would be board certified. So I wanted to have a raise after year one. And we negotiated a, a small raise every year thereafter as well. So, um, so were you working on production at all or you just, what you negotiated was just a raise for every, for the years that you were there? I negotiated a year, uh, a raise for each year in my base salary, but we also received a compensation bonus that was calculated, um, based on what our base was. So you had a threshold that you had to meet in order to make your base uh, compensation. And if you did not meet that goal each year, then they were able to decrease your salary by a certain percentage, which was, you know, consistent with, um, with your shortfall. So, um, so I, I did not have any issues or problems with that. I was able to meet my threshold and, and exceed it greatly every year, um, that I, that I practiced there. But, um, I found out literally by accident that what I was being given in terms of production bonus was about nine or 10 times lower than what the other surgical subspecialists were being paid, including uh, my partner. So, and in real numbers, that would be uh, like uh, a person, um, you know, if, if for each unit you got five dollars your partner for each unit may have gotten uh 50 or 60 dollars per unit so these obviously over time add up right exactly and and when we're talking about you know just to give you some perspective uh of just a regular vaginal delivery is worth 32 rvus thereabouts and so once you have met your threshold to earn your base salary you're paid that particular, whatever rate that you are given, you're paid that per unit. So we're talking, you know, $5 times 32 units versus $45 times 32 units. So it's yes. a huge difference. A great magnitude. Dollar, yes. Dollar so, um, so, you know, um, once I signed on, we, um, there was another, uh, position that was brought in, uh, who was also looking for a, a temporary to permanent situation. And we had kind of agreed that we would, you know, work a month and kind of see how, uh, how well things went, if things went well with the, the hospital staff and the office staff and, and make a decision as to whether or not we would hire this particular individual. That was the, the, what I agreed to initially. But what I found was that um, the physician was hired and, and I, I was not consulted at all. Um, I did not have any discussion, um, with them at all. And I had at this point been there about four or five months. So mm-hmm. I was a little bit taken aback by that. And, and it did prove that we weren't necessarily the most compatible pair <laughs> to be in practice together, but, you know, I'm a professional, so I'm always able to, I can work with, with anyone. So I, I made it work. Um, and I was told that I was lucky to have this individual as a partner and, and that he could mentor me and teach me many things. Um, but we just, I I don't think that was the case. And so, so what I'm, and just so that our listeners understand and, 
Um, and this obviously is your personal story. Um, Dr. Joy Baker is obviously a well-trained, well-educated African-American um, female. Or that part is not obvious that, you know, what her, her race is, that she's uh, female and and listening to her, you can certainly understand that she's well-trained and well-educated. Now, the person that they brought on, why was it that you were lucky to work with him? What what about him did they feel was, um, was special? Well, I think that, um, that what was presented to them was that this a physician was very well-versed in handling uh, high-risk OB patients, um, had never had a fetal loss, um, you know, and, and he, he's, he's a, a brilliant uh, individual. Um, his clinical knowledge is definitely solid. And perhaps I was then um, thought of as the, the new the new girl, you know, I'm, I'm not, haven't been out of residency very long. I'm just on the cusp of board certification. So I'm thinking that that was kind of the, the, the feeling or the thought. And so, um, you know, I was kind of told that I was going to be the, the secondary person or, or that he would kind of be the flagship uh, physician of the practice and, and that I was really lucky to be able to work with him. So, you know, I don't know. I, I just sort of absorbed that with no comment because I, I'm, I am an African-American female and I trained at a historically black institution. And so I was prepared for the fact that people might uh, uh, underestimate me or discount my skill set uh, just because of my my race and my gender. So I was prepared for that. But and and just again, so that listeners understand uh, the 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 salient differences um, with uh, training uh, across the board is is different in different places, um, and much of what we do as physicians has to be not just the classroom education. It has to be the hands-on. You're never going to know. You can read all you want to about delivering um, uh, twins vaginally, but until you actually deliver twins vaginally, you're you, you 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 know it's un, it's an unknown skill set and for you going to um a, a place graduating from a Grady residency program one of the busiest if not the busiest in the state of Georgia and for you to have been the top resident in your class that is saying that you accumulated a vast amount of experience and knowledge um because of where you were at, but, um, and not to, you know, knock anything that this, uh, you know, older white male professional brought to the table, but you definitely brought a lot to the table for this, uh, community. So you, you know, the, the, in some ways, the writing was already on the wall. They told you one thing and acted in another way. They they said we would bring you guys together and see how you you gel together, and kind of implied that if you didn't gel, he would be more of a temporary situation. But in fact, they had inked a deal with him, and and overnight he became the flagship um, 
of the practice and because of, of age seniority. And, you know, I'm just going to put it out there because of race and his gender. Also, um, I would think those played a definite role in, um, in how people were treated throughout this, um, these interactions. So you start working with him and um, you end up along the way finding out that there's a discrepancy in what you're, rece- what you're receiving in compensation versus what the, um, the gentleman is. That's right. And, you know, and, and like I said earlier, it was, it was purely by accident. We actually brought on an advanced practitioner into our practice. And uh, I was talking with our um, physician practices uh, director about her productivity points. <laughs> so it was really interesting that I was, I was trying to make sure that she was receiving equitable uh Uh, compensation for the work that she was doing for us. So yeah, I was talking to the physician practices director, um, actually advocating for um, my, the new physician assistant that we had brought into the practice, just to make sure that her productivity would be uh, appropriate, that she was receiving, you know, what she should in terms of um, her compensation. And during the course of that conversation, um, he says, well, well, what are you guys getting, you know, like 40 to $50 per productivity unit? And I was, I, I was just kind of, you know, floored. I'm like, 40 to 50? And he said, yeah, that's, that sounds about right. And I said, well, no, actually, I'm getting $5 pro, uh, per productivity unit. And then if I get above a certain level, I get 10 And if I get to the top tier, I get 20 so he said, you know, his response was like, no, no, that's way too low. Like, that's impossible. And I guess I should provide the background information that the director that actually hired me left a few months after I came on board. So this was a different person in, in the administrative role. He was over all of the physician practices. So he may not have, he may or may not have been aware um, of, of the fact that we had two very different compensation um, compensation rates, not only for base salary, but for the uh, bonus salary um, mm-hmm. rate. So uh, I, I produced my executed contract and I showed it to him and he still couldn't really, um, he, he didn't have Believe. any sort of um, yeah. explanation for that. He just kind of sat there just staring. So, um, of course, now I'm my interest is certainly peaked. So I'm asking questions. I started asking every surgical subspecialist, like, how what what is what is what is the the general ballpark rate that you're getting above your your threshold um, in terms of of the the bonus um, payments? And so everybody said we we landed somewhere between forty or even close to seventy dollars per unit. And I seem to be the only person making five, ten, or twenty dollars per unit based on how much I produced, uh, which is a big deal because I was actually though though um, this other gentleman was was expected to be the flagship provider. I was actually the one that was producing the most revenue and doing over fifty percent uh, per uh, per of the deliveries per month. So 
and as you said, um, it, when just so our listeners can understand the dollars and cents of it, um, she figured out that he was making over a hundred thousand dollars more than she was, and that's you know that's real money. Obviously, that's the amount that they were paying him over is more than most Americans make in a year, and certainly you can listen to this and say, oh, it's just rich doctors belly aching about, you know, their life on the yacht or whatever, but it's not. It's really, it's the same fight that the women's national soccer team is fighting. It's the same fight that our mothers fought and that it appears that our daughters will be fighting also to get equal pay for equal work. So it's not about kind of being dismissive of these are rich doctors so so she makes 250 and he makes 350 what's the big deal the big deal is that now dr baker has less money to pay back her loans with uh she has less money to invest in herself invest in her children invest in her community and at the end of the day it's just simply wrong so what what did you do when you found out you you did your polling amongst the other surgical subspecialties and found that you were the only one basically getting nickel and dime the range was anywhere from 40 to 70 dollars per unit and they had started you off at 5 dollars per unit what did you do next well i'll i'll be totally transparent here first i got really angry <laughs> of course uh, and- <laughs> And I thought, oh my gosh, like, how is this possible? Especially considering that there was no, you know, they could not justify the, the, the disparity in compensation based on my patient outcomes. They certainly couldn't. They couldn't justify it based on patient satisfaction scores. I won the Press Ganey Patient Satisfaction Award. <laughs> so I thought, okay. And, and then in terms of um, my productivity and work ethic, I, I was the administrative um, physician for the practice. So I was making call schedules and, and making sure that our policies um, were up to date in terms of the clinical care that we gave. And I was um, training the staff. I had an office staff training to really make sure that our staff was up to par. And then when we were um, blessed to move into a new building, I helped to design it and decorate it and spent quite a bit of my own personal money doing so. So I was angry, but I think underlying the anger was the sense of being devalued or unappreciated. Yes. Um, and I think that that's kind of in, in our society, we're a capitalist society, we invest in the things that we really want, you know, and, and I kind of felt like, well, what's the difference between my delivery and his delivery or what's the difference in me staying late and, and you know, making sure that extra patients are able to be added on to the schedule and, and him staying late. So, you know, I kind of, I just thought, how, how is and he was that? very rarely staying late. You said that because right. of well, where he lived, he he yeah, had a commute, yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. it wasn't anything okay. for him to sign out his patients that were actively laboring to you. So again, right. you were doing the lion's share of the delivery, lion's share of 
administrative. And um, you really, to me, you were the complete package as far as you were doing teaching, which you, you know, you told me you'd worked with midwives, you were doing patient care, and then you also managed somehow to find time to do research by, you know, writing and getting a grant with the March of Dimes. So with all of the data, you went and uh, talked with the CEO or the practice manager, or who, who did you bring all of this data to? So, of course, um, I involved the, the CEO and the, um, the director of the physician practices, and we sat down and had a meeting, um, and, and I, I came absolutely prepared, right, because I know, I know the drill by this point, you know, I'm a young Black woman who is working in a rural Southern community. I have to, everything that I say has to be um, evidence-based. You know, I can't just come in and say, I want more money. I have to, to show that what's being done is, is incorrect and that I need um, for that to be reconciled. So I went in, I collected all of the, the medical group um, or MGMA data and looked at it and devised what my base salary should have been based on what the average OBGYN with three to seven years experience in Southeast and outside of a metropolitan city should be making. So I had designed graphs. I had a a full PowerPoint. I placed it in a a nice presentation folder for the, um, the, the, administrators. And we sat down and and I explained to them. And I also outlined what I had brought to the practice, including, you know, the fact that when I came aboard permanently, I had a conversation with the uh, then CEO who left a few months after and the then director of physician practices who also left a few months after. So these were two new people in their roles. And I just really outlined to them what I brought to the table and that I had really cast the vision for this for this practice in term, and, and also had a written strategic plan for this practice. So I wanted to make sure they understood what my investment was in the hospital and in the practice and in the community. So I outlined those things and, and um, we had a, a real conversation about it. And I felt like the conversation was really positive. And the CEO actually said, you know, sh- Dr. Baker is very involved and she's doing a lot and she's transforming that practice. I think we should pay her appropriately. So they agreed that they would take my request and I made some very firm asks uh, in terms of my base salary and to be compensated uh, for my um, for my additional productivity above the threshold at the same rate that my partner was. And uh, they agreed to take this to um, to the board. And mind you, my attorney was involved again in this because we were talking about amending my contract. So she and Mm -hmm. I, you know, really did talk about uh, what the data shows, what fair market value is and, and, you know, what things I should, should ask for. So I I made an ask and, and uh, my administrators agreed to take it to the board. And unfortunately, um, you know, before we could get any sort of um, solution, the director of the physician practices was was um, uh, was terminated, and then we. So I started over again 
with the interim uh, gentleman. So we were negotiating how this contract should work. And then he too was terminated. And then the CEO was terminated a month after that. So we. What or, span of time are we talking about all of these people taking with, on within, losing jobs? Within six months. So mm-hmm. it was it was a pretty tumultuous time. I mean, when I first came aboard, the CEO and the director of physician practices left shortly thereafter. and We had an interim CEO and an interim uh, director of physician practices. And then we got two new permanent people. And then, you know, within the space of, uh, you know, a year to a year and a half, these two people were also gone. And so now we're back to another interim director and another interim CEO. So it's it, it, it's just been really tumultuous at the top uh, in terms of the organization. So um, I had to kind of bring debrief each new person about what the issues were and what my asks were. And finally, about a year and a half later, we, um, we finished the amendments. And I know that in compromise, everybody leaves the table a little unhappy. But what was decided was that I would have to meet the same threshold as uh, my partner in order to be paid on the same bonus uh, structure level that he was. So instead of 6,500 RVUs per year, I had to get 7,900. But again, like I said, that that threshold should be calculated on what your base salary is, but they refuse to increase my base salary. Oh, they refuse to increase the base mm-hmm. salary. And you're, did you ever find out what his base was? Because I know the 100000 above that he made had something to do with the units, but was his how much more was his base when he first started? So, you know, you don't really have to... You know, I, I never really ask people like, you know, how much money are you making? But I always am interested in a ballpark figure. So I did ask. Because we have, you know, a relationship where we talk and, and, and I did ask him and I told him, I said, well, I'll just be um, the, the first full disclosure. I said, I, I make, you know, somewhere in this range. And he said, oh, you're nowhere near me. Those were exact, his exact words, you're nowhere near me in your base pay. So and he never gave I, you an exact answer, but he, he, he basically told you. exact answer, but, but you can, you know, you can solve for X. So if I know mm-hmm. that I have to hit this threshold and my base salary is this, then I can see what threshold you'd, you know, if, and I know his threshold, what his threshold is now. So I can easily tell what, you know, what that base salary should be based on threshold, right? Mm-hmm. Did they ever give you, so in all of this, did they ever, anyone ever say, these were our thoughts, like, I mean, even to even to not even look at the numbers to just say, we knew you were a new grad and that's why we offered you this. But, you know, now in hindsight, did you ever walk away with any type of explanation that you would care to share? I, to this day, have received no explanation. And wow. I think that that would help um, for me because I can at least understand the thought process and the fact that I've asked for explanations several times. And granted, again, there's been so much turnover at the top that it could, you know, I'm sure that those people who were not privy to the details of my contract and were not there when I got hired really Mm -hmm. did not have an explanation for me. 
They didn't have mm-hmm. anything to offer me in terms of explanation. But, um, you know. So what was the final blow? When did you say, you know, I negotiate, I, I brought the data to these people um, and they're still playing games. They're not increasing my base salary. They actually want me to become more productive to even uh, begin to see a yield. Um, when do you decide enough is enough? Well, you know, interestingly enough, the original director of physician practices who hired me came back. <laughs> so, okay. uh, so she was placed <laughs> back in that role. And I actually sat down and had a conversation with her and I asked her uh, for an explanation. And I asked her about you know, I, I said, you know, I really feel like um, I was cheated. I use those exact words. I feel like I was cheated from the very beginning. Even when I was doing temporary work, I was making less than half of what my male colleagues were making. Uh, and so she she apologized, but she did not give any sort of explanation. And I so, think it's so interesting that she is female, that we're at the point basically where there are women in position of power and somehow they still subjugate other women, which is really ridiculous. Like if if anything, she should have been your biggest um, advocate. And for, I think most women will know that for the most part, um, I know this was the case when I graduated, it was the male residents that were told you're not going to get a really high paying job unless you do, um, unless you specialize. Cause just to go and finish with general OB and just hang your shingle or join another group in general, everyone's looking for a female OB. So within obstetrics, this should be one of the fields where uh, at last, women are paid the most, but even within our fields, um, you have it from the generalists, which me and Dr. Baker are both generalists, to the uh, subspecialists. When you start getting into the subspecialties, um, it's the same old, same old. So uh, for women taking care of women and the fact that women patients are, are beginning to actively seek out female doctors, you would think, this would be the one area where it wasn't a problem, but but that's not the case. You're you're absolutely right, and and that was something that I found very interesting, especially, um, you know, the fact that that she was willing to apologize, but then sort of deflected to well, the board and the CEO uh, make set up those numbers, but you know, I said my expectation would be that at the very least you'd be frank with me and say, hey, you know, you probably want to explore your compensation package. So, mm-hmm. um, so anywho, we, we go on uh, and we're, we're, we're just kind of rolling along. Meanwhile, I have helped to transform this practice from, you know, operating in the red, um, a significant amount in the red to now we're operating in the black and we have really picked up in terms of our number of patients and deliveries and surgeries. And, and so I'm, I'm working very diligently to do that. And I've also implemented a centering pregnancy program via a grant that, that I obtained. And um, our site has qualified for enhanced reimbursement because of our patient education model. So um, we're, I'm doing all these things and um, 
what interestingly happened is that my 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 partner went off to do some locums uh, at another hospital. He was trying to earn additional money. He has a family, and you know he 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 really is is very serious about providing for them. So we we were talking about him doing some locums, and I said, you know, that might be uh, something for me to do. I can I can sub- supplement income by doing some locums, and so I had uh, gotten a, a offer to do that, and I asked him. I said, well. Did you have to do anything special to 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 be able to to get permission from the hospital, or did you do? He said, "No, I just didn't. I didn't make it a secret. You know, you have to be credentialed, and they're going to contact the hospital." So, um, so I said, "Okay." So I, I go off and I, I find a, a position where I can get you know one weekend a month. So I'm doing that, and I've been doing it maybe for three months or so. When the director of physician practices shows up in my office one day with the director of human resources. And I come out of a patient room and they're there and they're just like, we need to talk to you. So that sounds pretty ominous, but I, I go in, we sit down and we talk and they say, well, we heard that you're doing, you know, um, a weekend a month in a place that's, you know, over 50 miles away, but we feel like um, that's competition for us and we need you to stop. And you did not have permission from us. And I said, well, I talked, you know, I, I actually... Um, had to go through our credentialing department to provide the information to this new new place. And so um, I, I did not make a secret of it. Every Everyone knew. And, mm-hmm. and I said, and, and when my partner did the same, everyone knew and he did not get permission. And she said, well, I have an email showing that he did get permission. So I called him and asked him again. He said, no, absolutely, I did not. So I said, well, I don't understand um, what's the, what the difference is like, how do the rules apply to me, but they don't apply to my partner. And then also she brought me an outline copy of the contract that said that if we worked in other locations, we had to get written permission from the hospital. So I said, okay. And so I went through and reviewed my contract again um, after work that evening. And I also realized that they had not paid me for my professionalism bonus or for my semi-annual um, bonus. So mm-hmm. I said, you know, I, I brought that to her attention. And I to- and, and she, she said, oh, well, I'm so sorry. We just forgot to pay you. Wow. <laughs> so at that point, I said, you know what? I'm done. Um, yeah. It, it's time to go. Yeah. So, um, I think you definitely gave them more than enough opportunities. So in wrapping up, what, Um, I guess two things, two questions. What does the future hold and what advice do you have to, um, to the women out there, um, in these situations? And again, obviously we're speaking about a specific situation, but there's, I think global lessons that can be, um, garnered from this. So what's next for you and what advice do you have to give? Well, I'll be moving on to um, another um, hospital-owned practice, and I am uh, being placed on a a leadership track. I really have a passion for patient education and also maternal morbidity and mortality. So I'll be doing some work uh, with that um, along with my clinical practice. And I'm really excited about that moving forward. But one thing that has really resonated with me throughout these first two experiences in my career um, is that I want to 
try to help other women avoid the pitfalls that that I you know ran into uh, on my journey. And I want to also educate and empower um, women who are coming out of residency and really residents in general, because it does not do us, um, it does not serve us well to pray on new doctors who we know probably are inexperienced with negotiations and, uh, and who um, are, are just thinking that anything more than what we're making in residency is better than, than what we're making in residency, right? So yeah. I want to make sure that, that I'm arming uh, new physicians with, with, with tools to help avoid predatory um, institutions. And one thing that I, I do remember learning in residency is that you know, hospitals and practices who are hiring you as an employee, they're never going to, to, um, to skew the contract in your favor. You have to, to know how to, man, how to maneuver and how to negotiate so that you get uh, what it is that you're trying to achieve. So um, to women who are in these situations, the one thing I would say is um, speak out. And so, um, you know, going to my administrators and presenting the facts and presenting uh, what my productivity had been and the fact that it was higher than most people in my region and, and, and what I had to, to tell them, look, this is what I'm, I'm bringing to the table and I deserve to be compensated equitably. Um, and um, I think that you have to, you have to speak to that. But then the other thing is I think that we sort of quietly melt away um, when when something happens that's that's not right when um, when you are disrespected or you are not uh, compensated appropriately or you um, have higher expectations placed on you these are all discriminatory practices and I don't think that we um, that we handle it like that uh, it's also illegal to compensate a man, more than a woman for the same work. So um, I think that we, we have to start using our voices. And I hope that any woman who's in that situation first recognizes that it's not, it's not you. Because we always yeah, it's have not a, um, a reflection on your worth. Right. Like, oh, man, well, why would they not pay me what they pay him? Or why would they not respect me the way they respect him? Or why wouldn't I be... Um, uh, be considered for that promotion like he is. It's not you, but it is our society and the culture that we have created um, in the workplace, period, not just in medicine. So we have to start using our voices and advocating for each other and for change um, in the American workplace. Totally agree. Couldn't agree with you more. If you're listening to this and you're in a similar situation or you want to share, go to Uninhibited Podcast on Facebook. And we also have Uninhibited Podcast on Instagram. Our goal is um, for is that uh, myself and Dr. Baker will develop um, a seminar or um, something where we are visibly able to push this negotiation further. Because the, I think my takeaway from w- talking with you and in my own personal experiences, the the biggest 
uh, power that we have is knowledge. Knowledge is power. So don't be afraid to ask a fellow physician, what are they making? As Joy said, she does it in a ballpark. You know, you know, you don't want to go up and just be like, are you making, you know, are you making 357,000? Like, I mean, no one perhaps is not going to tell you to the penny. That's not what's really the important stuff. It's really important to find out where you are in in the scale. Um, and so using our voices, asking those difficult questions, because only in asking the questions will we get answers and will we change this current power dynamic. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Baker, for sharing your story. And um, we hope to keep moving the conversation forward. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Uninhibited. You can find more episodes to download at iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also continue the conversation at uninhibited.community on Facebook, where you can like us and share. And you can continue chatting on Instagram at uninhibited.podcast. Special shout out to Trap Quilo for the beats.